from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. I'm Danny Wisentowski. Where do you turn for mindfulness? Often, it seems like the chaos of the world, the anxiety of work, our relationships, our families, it can be hard to see beyond the strain, even when we know there's more to the world, to us, than just stress. For Daigaku Rume, this question became the work of a lifetime. After moving to Japan, Daigaku spent decades studying for masters of Zen Buddhism. Today, Daigaku is an ordained Zen priest and a master himself. After leading Zen institutions on the West Coast, he moved to St. Louis in 2015. He now teaches at the Confluence Zen Center in St. Louis County, which is hosting an open house this Saturday at its brand new location. Daigaku, welcome to the show. Thanks, Danny. Daigaku, mindfulness as a concept seems to be having a kind of moment in popular culture. Tell us, what is your definition of mindfulness? Mindfulness is being here, paying attention to what you're doing. And that can be things you like to do and things you don't like to do. So to just be here for whatever is coming up. Now, you, you grew up in the States, but you spent decades in Japan, if I understand correctly, and then you returned. And, and you spent a great deal of time as a monk. Um, can you take us, tell us what that day-to-day life was like and what it means to be a, a Zen monk? I partly grew up in Japan. Uh, My father was a missionary in Japan. And then I went back when I was 24 years old, looking for a place where I could find a teacher. And I was very fortunate to find a man who would accept me as his disciple. And I did live for 27 years in a monastery. I was ordained in 1978. Monastic life is simple. There's just very uh, few main things we do. We do the sitting, which we call zazen, or what you would think of as meditation. There is liturgy and ceremonies. There's lots of work, and there is some study. I would say those are the main components. Now, I just heard you say there's, there's a lot of meditation, but there's also a lot of work. How did, you know, in terms of finding that present moment, how, how did that balance work out? You know, I, I think it's normal when a person would go to a monastery to think that zazen, what we call meditation, is the main activity. Uh, but in actual fact, uh, I would say work is really the main part of it. But there's a balance, and that's up to the teacher to, to help the students find that balance. And when we say work, you're, you're cleaning the floors, you're growing food, you're, you know, this is almost a, a community. Absolutely. There were anywhere from 20 to 30 people there at any time. Starting the morning after meditation, cleaning, as you mentioned, place was immaculate inside. Coming out, sweeping the gardens. Um, and then there'll be all kinds of work during the day. Uh, vegetable fields, cutting wood, carrying wood. Uh, cleaning here and there, and depending on the weather, uh, quite a variety of, of things to do. You know, as I mentioned, you, you and as you mentioned, of course, you traveled uh, between Japan and the States. You were, grew up there as a child. You came there as an adult. 
And, and um, you know, part of that is that you experienced the counterculture uh, that happened in this country in the 60s and 70s, and then you returned, you know, decades later. And I'm curious, you know, that moment in your upbringing when there was counterculture, when there was interest in enlightenment, what was that moment like? And, and does it compare to perhaps what we're feeling now, a desire for mindfulness, a, a, a seeking? I, I think that's probably true that in the 60s and early 70s, a lot of us were looking desperately for alternatives to what we thought of as the established culture. And for me, Buddhism, and particularly Zen, Zen Buddhism as one school of Buddhism, was the way I found. Uh, the people today are looking for, for answers, for alternatives to a lot of the big problems that we're facing. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing you, you didn't have uh, to the extent uh, that we have now today is, is the screens, the smartphones. And I want to kind of bring up the subject that we're, you know, in terms of the popularity of mindfulness, a lot of it really seems to be that people had not found those resources there. You know, they have not found a therapist or they haven't found, you know, the way to get that outlet. But what they have is a phone. And so they download these apps, things like uh, Calm and Headspace. I looked up a couple of these and they are incredibly popular. We are talking about millions of downloads, users, you know, communities of people who are using these things. And it's my understanding that our, our producers had kind of talked you into to downloading some of these, to looking at them. What, what was your expectation and experience uh, looking at these apps? I was asked to familiarize myself with these, and I have to be honest, Danny, that I didn't have time. I mean, it's stressful just looking at how much content there is on these. Very true, very true. Um, But I did look at uh, one particular, it was a 30-day introduction to meditation. And I went through several days of that. And, you know, in one way I can see how this could work for some people. You're busy, people are busy. Uh, as you mentioned, smartphones, everybody has a smartphone. It's easy to look at it and think, well, yeah, he's going to lead me through this and so on. I, I think it could work for some people. I do have a doubt whether it's sustainable, however. You know, I, it struck me because I, I was looking at some of the photos on the website for the Confluence Zen Center, and it shows some folks you know, in that seated position, and they're facing a blank wall. Right. And, and that struck me so much. You know, is the, the screen, its variability, its notifications, is that kind of a non-starter? Do you need a blank wall for this? You know, I think you can do it everywhere. I think, I think some people could be successful with a smartphone. But the blank wall is traditionally the way we've done it in the school that I belong to. And I think it's just a matter of what works for you? I, I'm not going to say one is better than the other. Mm-hmm. But I was struck, Danny. Uh, the two first proper names that came out in this short uh, series that I heard were Jimi Hendrix and Bob Marley mm-hmm. as examples of people who might have had some insight into meditation. And it just struck me how that there's, there's very little Buddhist element or content in this series. And, you know, that that's such an interesting point. You know, people you know, may be familiar with Jimi Hendrix or, you know, these, you know, these, these figures uh, who are associated with the counterculture um, and the era in which you grew up in. Um, does it lose something by reaching for that relatability rather than bringing them into the tradition, perhaps, that, that you pursued? That's a great question, and I, I couldn't really tell you. Obviously, the person who's doing this, 
this course feels that that's the way to bring people in. Um, I'm not against that, and, and I'm sure I do that too in some ways. It just struck me. I mean, these these two guys, they've been gone 40, 50 years, and so you're, he's really reaching back into that time almost of the cult, counterculture. Mm-hmm. Now, when you teach mindfulness, or, or should I even ask, do you teach mindfulness? Is that is that part of the the process that you're, you're teaching, the Zen practice, the meditations, is that word familiar to yours or is it an invention? I like to say that Zen is mindfulness. That's, as I said earlier, bringing your attention to what you're doing in the moment. To me, that's what mindfulness is about. But mindfulness with a capital M as a certain movement, which is now quite popular, and behind many of these apps that are that we see on our, our smartphones, I would say, is not Zen. And, and the, the distinction I make is that in Zen, the objective is to eliminate the sense of separation between me, the self, and the activity, such that the activity disappears. And I wonder if, if mindfulness with a capital M is really going in that direction. Mm-hmm. And and that that focus, um, you know, on the present rather than perhaps just getting someone to download an app, you know, it, it does that perhaps does, does the commercial element does does it is it reflected in the way these these meditations are guided? Does it feel like they're just getting users to you know sign up for the next one? And, I to tell the truth, I had that feeling. I, I did download these apps, and right away, you get an email saying you want to do the next one. Mm-hmm. And obviously, that's the way they've set up these things. But I, I don't know. Maybe for them, that's successful. But I, it, it does kind of make a, a, a certain feeling like you've got to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, it, it's an app that is about mindfulness, and, and you know, it must send notifications, and it must send people download. And I'm curious, you know, you know, but for your practice, when you're teaching meditation and mindfulness. Um, you know, you're not just trying to get them to, to get to the next class, um, although I'm sure you would, you would like them to. H- how do you introduce this this subject? How do you get them to pause in, in the present when they are thinking about what's happening in the evening or a thing, you know, a, a work uh, aspect that is coming up? How do you get down to that that focus? There are ways to, to teach about that, but I think one of the important things is to have people find something that they really enjoy doing, especially in their work. Because People can lose themselves in their work if they find something they really find useful, shall we say, or or helpful for other people and so on. Um, So I encourage lay people, people who come to my center. Yes, we do the sitting practice, but we're not doing that all the time. Take that practice into your life and really try and focus on what you're doing one thing at a time. Don't don't try and multitask. Just do one thing at a time and do it completely. Is quiet necessary for this? Can you know, can people meditate or, or get into this while doing yard work or walking the dog? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's not a matter of doing something. It's just being that activity. There's no need to, to bring in something extraneous because our life is Zen. Mm-hmm. So if you're walking the dog, just walk the dog. If you're mowing the, the grass, just do that. That to do that 100% is Zen. 
Now, we are talking with um, Daigaku Rume, a Zen priest uh, of the Confluence Zen Center in St. Louis, and we're talking a bit about mindfulness. And we're also uh, talk. I want to talk about a bit about this open house that's coming up. You have a new location. You're bringing people there. Um, now, I have this address here uh, right in front of me. Uh, that's at 7112 St. James Square. Um, and that open house is at, from 11 to 2 p.m. on October 15th, this Saturday. What, what should people expect uh, at this open house? And, and what, what are you hoping maybe to open some eyes to? This is our kind of official opening, I would say. We bought this property back in March. It took us a while to get it up to commercial code. And during the summer, it's a little bit of a lighter schedule and so on. Um, people could expect just to come in, see the place. I think some people are just curious what's what's inside this building. So we've invited the neighbors and, and really quite a few people. In fact, anybody who's listening is welcome to come, meet some of the community. At noon and at 1 o'clock, I will be giving some instruction about how we do what I call zazen, which is what the meditation form we do and uh, some light refreshments. Uh, that's mm -hmm. what they can expect. Yeah, are, now, you know, are you, you're gonna be leading perhaps some, some meditations or classes in, in that open house as well? At noon and at one o'clock, I plan whoever would like to, just a few minutes to, sh to show the people how we sit down, mm -hmm. the posture, and a little bit about what they can do while they're sitting quietly. I'm curious, you know, for our, our listeners right now, a lot of them, I'd expect, are experience, experiencing anxiety, experiencing stress, and particularly over things maybe they, they don't have any control of, the election coming up, uh, you, know, uh, you know, unknowns based on other unknowns. Uh, what will happen if this happens? What will happen, you know, ex, you know, our brains are so good at, at going down that line of these contingent unknowns, and we're left with feeling out of control of our own life. Um, what could people do on their own, you know, even without their phone? Uh, whether it's it's a poem or whether it's a, a breathing exercise, what, what would you hope to give to them? Danny, let me share with you a short poem, four-line poem. This very moment, just think of only this. The past cannot return. The future cannot be known. In Zen, we say that human beings can only think either of the past or the future. It is impossible to think of the moment now. That seems counterintuitive. We're speaking together now. You're thinking of questions to ask me and so on. But the idea there is that once we're aware of something, there's already a separation. If we hear a sound, see something, there's already a separation. So in, in, in effect, we're thinking about a memory of a, of a perception. So we can think about the past, but the past is gone. We can't change the past, and yet we spend about half of our time thinking about things that we would have liked to have gone a different way. Or we're thinking about the future. But the future is literally unknowable, and we can, but we can create a lot of anxiety about what might happen, worrying about this might happen or this might not happen and so on. Zen is to really bring your attention, as I said earlier to the task you're doing at hand. It's not to say that we can't reflect on the past. That's good. We can do that. We can learn from our mistakes. We can plan for the future. But a lot of times it doesn't go the way we 
hope it will or hope it won't go. So to remain flexible, fluid about plans and keep our attention mostly on what we're doing now is something I would recommend to all people. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I guess lastly, you know, I, I think a lot of us always want to know, how do I know when something is working? How do I know when I'm actually being improved by a process? How Can you check in on, you know, am I, am I doing Zen in, in, in a positive way? Is, is my mindfulness actually helping my life? How, how would you evaluate that? You know, Danny, I think that's something that everybody will know without even worrying about it. You might have that question at the beginning, but if you, pers- if you persevere with this, you are going to feel that something's working right. I guarantee it. Mm. I don't and, think it's necessary to and, look for results. Mm. Was there a moment for you, though, when you were young and getting into this where, where it did feel like, you know what, th- this is actually working. This is something I potentially need to cross oceans for. I had that experience many times with my teacher that, yes, this is what my teacher's telling me. This is something that you have to experience. And a lot of people... They start out reading, but they never get to the actual practice. It's important, and I always say we hear the teaching, we have to think about the teaching, but then we have to apply it. Today's episode was produced by Aaron Doerr and Danny Wisentowski. Our audio engineer is Aaron Doerr. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. This podcast was mixed and edited by Avery. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.